Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We can find instant satisfaction in almost anything these days. Sleepy? Instant coffee. Need to sell your car fast? Car sales? Instant offer. That's right. Sell your car the instant way. And get it done with Australia's most trusted site for cars. Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEM. Uh, it's Tuesday night. Good to be back on a Tuesday. Footy Tinder, where we'll swap left or right, uh, whether we agree or disagree with some of the biggest opinions in the game on some of the biggest issues and the Jared Berry decision. Uh, yes, indeed. Welcome to the Sporting Capital. Great to have you on board. However you're finding us, wherever you're finding us, you can call one 736 736 at any stage to get anything off your chest. If there's a little bee in your bonnet uh, or if someone, something's tickling your fancy, uh, anything you feel like you need to express, you can do so. one 736 736 or 0433 98 11 Shane Keith Warne, um, it would have been his birthday today. Um, so we're thinking uh, of him, uh, his family and, and his close friends as well. Uh, still trying to get over the fact that uh, uh, one of the greatest ever um, is no longer with us. So I know there'll be people that are, that are doing it tough today, whether you knew him or you didn't. Um, but there is a little bit of a, just a little bit of melancholy around uh, about today. Um Zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen at any stage. Uh, if you need to fire something through on the forty winks temper text, consumer choice winner temper mattresses, pillows, and adjustable bases conforms to the exact shape of your body. Um, so the Lions' final submission in the Jared Berry Tribunal hearing uh, were as follows: the five key points that Adrian Anderson made. Um, if you're just joining us, um, Jared Berry was charged with uh, intentionally making contact with the eyes. Uh, in the eye region of uh, Clayton Oliver. Um, Adrian Anderson has said that Barry had pressure on his throat that left him in a vulnerable position. Uh, the only accessible region Barry could push off Oliver was his face. Barry is not looking at Oliver. It was an extremely fleeting moment, much quicker, shorter, briefer moment than the Rory Sloan incident from earlier this year that was downgraded from one match to a fine. Uh, most important is Barry's evidence, Adrian Anderson said, was not... He was not intending to make unreasonable or unnecessary contact to the eye region of Oliver. He felt vulnerable and was endeavouring to get Oliver off him. So they uh, presented evidence from Luke Hodge as a character witness. They also um, utilised evidence from 
uh, utilised evidence from a neurologist from Brisbane's Princess Alexandra Hospital, Dr. Damien Amato. He said the danger that is uh, the danger of that. Uh, so he says that Barry is in a vulnerable position, particularly with all of his hand across his chest and shoulders, with his right forearm pushing down on his throat. He said the danger of that is obstruction of his airway and reducing oxygen supply to the brain, uh, is what Dr. Amato said. It's obvious from the footage he is not moving in one single manner, but flailing all limbs to get Oliver off him and relive. Uh, and relieve pressure from his airway. He was protecting himself uh, and acting on behalf of the AFL. Nick Payne said that that evidence uh, should be given very little weight, that Luke Hodges' testimony should be given very little weight, and Jared Berry's evidence should be dismissed outright. Um, so uh, Jeff uh, Geeshan is giving final instructions uh, to the tribunal, and once we have a decision... You'll know about it. Um, but if you've got a thought about it, 0433 98 uh, 11 16 or 1300 736 736. Luke Jackson requesting a trade today. What does that mean? The ramifications are pretty big for several clubs. So what does that mean about Brody Grundy? Does he find his way now to Melbourne um, now that that decision has been made by Luke Jackson? And what would that take, which is an interesting situation? It probably takes a first-rounder from Melbourne, depending on who they get that from. Melbourne have said they'll deal with West Coast and Fremantle to get the best deal for them, which they're well and truly within their rights to do. If you want to go home, you want to go home. Um, the preference is to get to Fremantle, we understand. But Melbourne need to look after themselves as well. So do they pass on a first-round draft pick to Collingwood? And who needs that deal more? Does Collingwood desperately need to clear some salary cap? Or does Melbourne desperately need to replace Luke Jackson? Or do they desperately need a key forward? Gary Lyon has suggested earlier this year that Harrison Petty would be a good option uh, up forward. But he also spoke today about why why Melbourne might be more keen on Brodie Grundy than a key forward. Why would they want Grundy and not be going after a forward type player? That's, that's the question that I've been asking myself. Um, I don't know the answer to that, to be honest. I really don't. I'm not sure. I back in Melbourne's recruiting and list management team because they've done a fantastic job in assembling a great list. Um, but I'd need to have it explained to me in terms of the deficiencies. Maybe they think the boy Van Ruin can play key forward next year, who's had a very good VFL year. Um, the, I think there's a two or three year gap between Grundy and Max. Maybe Max's body, they know something about Max, which means he might finish a little earlier than we think. I don't know the answer, but it's it's something that need, I, I need to have it explained to me. Okay. Gary Lyon, uh, Tim Watson earlier today on SEN Breakfast, but there's ramifications for maybe up to five Fremantle Docker players. Um, it's actually going to have a huge impact on this trade period. I don't think I'm going out, going out on a limb to say that this trade period might just be one of the most full-on um, that we've experienced in recent years. It's been a little quiet over the last couple of years, but this trade period just has all the hallmarks of one that's about to explode. There's going to be a lot of deals done, I think. Sam Edmonds going to be very, very busy. Um, let's get into some footy tinder, shall we? On the Sporting Capital, it's time to start swiping with Footy Tinder. Uh, Jordan Canales joins us, uh, producer of this show, uh, AFL Nation commentator, uh, football commentator extraordinaire. He's back on the NFL coverage that SEN bring you every Monday morning from, I think it's 3am, JK. What time are you on air? We were on air yesterday from 2.30am, which is the mm. earliest time we've been on before, doing yep. a pre-game. So, good fun yesterday. It was uh, an amazing week one. Sorry about the uh, 
the uh, the loss that my Ravens inflicted on your Jets in week one, uh, Sammy. But that's Just to score goes. one touchdown, I think, was uh, <laughs> I, I was happy with that. I was surprised by that. Unfortunately, old cement shoes. <laughs> and and it's, it, you shouldn't say that about a Super Bowl um, winning quarterback in mm-hmm. Joe Flacco, but that was a fair while ago with your Baltimore Ravens. Yep. Unfortunately, um, our QB, which we've maybe hanging a few too many hopes on, Zach Wilson, is out injured. But the Jets, look, I think they've, got, they've drafted really well the last few years. They're doing on their slow rebuild, very slow yeah. rebuild. The drafts have been kind to us the last couple of years. There's pieces falling into place. Just, I've just got a big question mark over Zach Wilson. But today's game, by the way, yeah, I, I would have, um, and responsibly, of course, but I would have thought it was a certainty that the Broncos would beat Seattle, even in Seattle. Uh, yep. Geno Smith, uh, former Jets uh, QB, um, uh, stepping into the starting role with Seattle. Um, Denver looked really good, I thought, uh, on paper going into this season. Russell Wilson was probably the biggest move of the offseason yep. from a quarterback point of view going to the Broncos. And against his former club, I just thought it was all laid out that he was, they would wipe the floor with Seattle. But they missed the field goal with about 20 seconds left and uh, Seattle get the win. Yeah, it was a bit of a slow burn this game. It was a touchdown on the first drive and then we didn't have much scoring after that, but it was a good, uh, I guess if you're a football purist, it was a, an arm wrestle, but the uh, decision by Nathaniel Hackett, the new Denver Broncos coach, at the end of the game to go for a field goal from 64 yards it was, which is a heck of a long way, instead of trying to go for it on fourth down and, and get that winning touchdown for the Broncos. It's uh, being pilloried around the uh, the NFL media and fandom for his decisions. So uh, a trial by fire almost in these, in this first game as head coach Nathaniel Hackett, the Broncos coach. I wonder how Russell Wilson feels about that. Yeah, I mean, he's he was the, the big-name quarterback move of the offseason. You're being brought in to Denver for a reason. He's the first notable quarterback they've had since Peyton Manning. And the first chance he gets to win it. Exactly, and he's no, denied. Mate. <laughs> no, mate. <we'll... laughs> oh, we paid $250 million for you. Yeah, field goal. Sit this one out. Yeah. Special teams. <laughs> I think that's just habit. I think that because they've had just a putrid run of quarterbacks since Peyton Manning left. Yes. <laughs> I think that's just bad habits. They've been conditioned. <laughs> I reckon he's walked back into the change room, looked at Russell Wilson, and gone, "Oh, that's right. Oh, we had you. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, mate. I forgot about you." <laughs> uh, all right, footy Tinder. This is where uh, you dish up some of the big statements that have been made by some of the biggest uh, names in the game, and mm-hmm. just like in real Tinder, where you're looking at um, a potential uh, person to date uh, or to meet, uh, you swipe left if you would not like to meet or date that person, someone you're not keen on, uh, and you swipe right for someone that you are keen on. It's exactly how this works. Swipe left to disagree, right to agree, and you get one super like. And as I always say uh, on Tinder, you only get one super like a day, and if you want any more, you've got to pay for it. And once you have to start paying for Tinder, something's gone terribly wrong. As Tinder's number one user would know, A-Rod, who's sitting just outside, <laughs> knows a lot about it. A-Rod, are you, rolling, uh, are you paying for super likes? No. No. Good man. Good man. All right, where are we starting? Uh, let's start off with uh, Nathan Buckley and his comments on the uh, Brisbane Lions forward line. I've always thought that the traditional idea of a tall centre forward and a tall full forward, and you need, and then if you want to maintain, if you want to maintain those two key marking targets, you actually need to play three. You need to play a third that rotates because you can't those those two those units can't play for 100 percent of game time. So, say you've got one for 80, one for 80, then you need a, you need a player that can come in and play that 40 percent role as a tall target. That's been the way that we've viewed. But if it's only one, if, if you've only got 
one of those tools, well, then sometimes you're going to go, you're going to have six tours or six threes that are actually doing your aerial mm. work, but you can hunt the ball harder on ground. You can put more pressure on the opposition. I think that's Sydney's setup. I think Geelong, have, with Jeremy Cameron, he plays as much as a flanker yeah. as he does a, as a key mm. with Rowan. I think Collingwood's setup is a lot closer to the ground. I think the modern-day forward lines, you can go in too tall, and maybe Brisbane's setup is advantaged by what's happened to them the last couple of weeks. I, I firmly believe that, which makes it interesting with Danaher coming back. So, ooh, the statement here is Brisbane have a more functional forward line without Joe Danaher, as perhaps evidenced by what we saw last weekend. Hmm... Only one game sample size, I know, but... See, they are... They were top two for scoring all year, and by and large, for the whole year, they had their three talls, and Charlie Cameron, and Link McCarthy, Cam Rayner, Zach Bailey, rolling through there. I think... I think they're more... I think they're more unpredictable with the three, and I think having the three in gives you more options... Mm-hmm. Where, where I think that we've underestimated that Dan McStay started as a, a key defender. Didn't set the world on fire, but that's there's an option there to, to, to redeploy him as that. I'm going to swipe right, though, because on a one-game sample size, um, they were more dangerous against Melbourne. So you've, you've kicked the score you've kicked. You've had the half you've had against the best defence in the competition without... Joe Danaher. So I'm a big believer that Joe Danaher's in their best 22, and I think that he has the potential to win you a game, just like he did after a quiet game against Richmond. But the statement, I think, off that half of footy against the best defence in the competition, and far be it from me to argue with uh, two of the greats, Nathan Buckley and Gary Lyon. So I know I'm having a bit each way, but I think I'm going to actually swipe right and it, say that I, I think it, 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 that, that's been proven to be true. Is it horses for courses, though? So against yeah. against a, a defence that is one of the best aerially, some of the best aerial defenders intercept overhead markers in the game, Does it? did Brisbane's forward line function better because they played close to the ground with fewer mm. tall options? Maybe against another defence who don't have as good uh, a tall defending core, maybe the Brisbane forward line would function better with Jay Danaher in there playing more in the air. That's a great point. But, but Geelong's not the opposite defence to that of Melbourne. You know, when you've got Stewart and when you've got De Koning, um, I know Blixarves has been playing uh, on the ball now, but they have that similar ability to, if you just keep going aerial, well, Geelong have been doing it for even longer than Melbourne have. They will just pick you off time and time again. So... I don't know whether Geelong's a defence where you'd want to say, well, we can go back to just attacking aerially now because Jack Henry, Tom Stewart, Sam DeConing um, are pretty darn handy at the intercept game as well. And then on the flip side of that, you've got Zach Tui, Jed Buse, and, and if Mitch Duncan lines up there or, or if it's Jake Collar-Jasney, whoever it might be, they're really good at defending the ground ball yeah. um, as well. But if, if chaos worked for you to get you to this point... Then stick with, then I think go with chaos again. You know, don't allow yourself to be predictable. Spoke about that last night in my very strange analogy, but to be unpredictable and multidimensional, uh, as well as going on the attack, I think is um, crucial to success in the entertainment era of footy. 
Kane Corns, uh, we had this one a little earlier, but just to recap his comments on Luke Jackson. Really poor, and he'd be quite embarrassed by some of those physical efforts. He's in the position to mark the footy and didn't go. You get found out in finals. For a player that hasn't done a whole lot, we speak about him a whole lot. And, you know, he plays one good game every 12, I reckon, Luke Jackson. So if he goes, I actually don't think it's the worst thing for Melbourne because what you're going to get back is two first-round draft picks for him, so you sure up your future. You get Brody Grundy in with Collingwood playing a large chunk of his wage, and he's a much better player than Luke Jackson is. So Kane's comments there, particularly what he said in the middle, is that we talk about him a whole lot for someone who hasn't done a whole lot. Is Luke Jackson in this scenario, this trade talk that's been happening all year, is he being, in the midst of it all, overrated? Well, I think he didn't have, maybe didn't have as good a year this year as he had last year, but that would apply to a several Melbourne players, and they didn't have as good a season, clearly, as they had last year, and that's a captain obvious statement because they won a premiership last year, but I'm going to swipe left to that because he is a NAB Rising star winner and he's a premiership player uh, and he's only just played two years of footy and I, I tend to lean towards what Gary was saying this morning. You judge someone on what their best is. That's that's what you... Matt Rendell says it all the time. When I'm grading players, I grade them on what their best is. You can, you can, you can develop them to be more consistent, but his best is having been one of the most influential players on the biggest stage of all uh, to win a drought-breaking premiership. So his best is premiership winning. So I don't think he's overrated. What I do believe in and agree with is Jared Waitley's belief that they're skipping steps. If if it's rumoured to be seven years at eight or $900,000, that's step skipping. To go from your first yeah, yeah. deal as a draftee to, almost, like, to, to 100 or 200 shy of a million, that's that's a quantum leap. I think he'll be... Scott Bakula. I think he'll be uh, found massive. out. If he goes to Fremantle, I think he'll be found out, particularly if they play him as a forward. So if Darcy stays and Lobb goes, which I think is at the moment the likely outcome, and Jackson is used as a key forward, I think I don't think he's played enough sole key forward in his short career at Melbourne that he'll just slot in comfortably and, and play the role naturally. I think he'll be found out if he does that. Uh, and the pressure on him, I, I think, will be much, much greater there on that money than it would. And given the ruptures and the ripple effect that it's going to have, I don't even know if it's responsible in the end. I'm all for people getting as much money as they can and get making the best living that they can, but I wonder if this is just too much too soon for a young player. Uh, we'll be back after this. You're listening to The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Uh, we're getting into some footy tinder. Uh, after 7.30, uh, NRL Nations expert Scott Sattler uh, will join us to go over the weekend's finals for week one and then what's to come in week two. Jordan Canellis, our final uh, bit of swiping. Final bit of swiping. Chris Scott yesterday. It has been a hard year. It's been a long year. Um, you know, That's not it. I've always been an optimist about the game. I, I, I go back, and this has not been self-deprecating. This is just the way I look at it, a fact. Go back and watch the Brisbane Grand Finals. The, the, the game's not as good. It's just not as good. The players aren't as good. Like we, we, I, you know, I don't know what your life fly, but I look at some of the guys in our team, I think, thank God, Ned had never had to play on you. And so I'm not surprised with the tweaks in the rules that have opened the game up a little bit. I'm not surprised we're in the, the shape that we're in, but she didn't feel like that two or three years ago. The quality, the standard of football of today is the best ever. Yes, what? Uh, I'm going to super like it. 
Yeah. Yeah, this is um, – I went, grew up in the 80s. I saw the 90s. I saw those premierships. I think um, those glory days that we long for, I think this is the equal of those and it will only get better. Scott Sattler to join us after this. You're listening to The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. According to uh, David Zeta, who's uh, live blogging the Jared Berry Tribunal case uh, at the moment, you can thank the AFL Appeals Board for this added delay because of the lack of clear directions that the Patrick Cripps Tribunal was the reason they overturned that decision. So there are still instructions being given, apparently, by Jeff uh, Jeff uh, Gleeson um, before they retire to deliberate. So we might not have a decision on whether Jared Berry will be uh, able to play against Geelong. Uh, whilst we're on air, uh, which I'm off air at 8 o'clock. So um, I'd love to have been able to give you a decision, but I just don't know whether that's going to be possible uh, as we just await and twiddle our thumbs. Uh, 0433 So that gives us a chance to maybe uh, just change directions for a little minute. Week one of NRL finals uh, is in the book and we speak to one man and one man only on the Sporting Capital when it comes to all things NRL. And that, of course, is uh, the former Panthers premiership player. He was solely responsible for that uh, premiership in 2005 uh, and a former Queensland origin player as well. I speak, of course, of Scotty Sattler, part of the SEN family. Hello, mate. Hey, Sammy. How are you? Yeah, um Exciting weekend, week one of finals. They always are, aren't they? And uh, as you know, I love my AFL as well. So um, you know, it was, it was going to be hard to compete with AFL's week one of the finals because they were four absolute screamers. But I think we, I think we nearly got there. You know, I think our last game of the weekend, which we'll cover, it had so much controversy, enough for you know talking points for the next two weeks. So we're classifying in the AFL. It's been classified as definitely the the, the greatest week one of the finals of the AFL era this century, maybe and up there in one of the best week ones of all time. How would you rank week one of the NRL finals series? Uh, exciting, um, nail-biting, controversial as well is probably the best one. Uh, I'm going to say the first night, the Par- Parramatta Eels and Penrith. I thought uh, Penrith were always going to win that with Nathan Cleary coming back. It was a master class from a guy that's been out for six weeks and the leader of that side. Then you fast forward to Canberra beating Melbourne at Melbourne, which they've got a great record, mind you, but to lose it because the ball comes off the head of a Canberra player, which is play on in our game, and to score and lose the final, Melbourne Storm, tough way to lose. And then Saturday night, the exciting finish, golden, it was an extra time, five minutes each way, then golden point, which is unlimited time. Let's just keep playing on midnight if we have to until someone actually... Uh, gets a, a um, gets a point of any nature, and then to see the Cowboys win it the way they did a 45 metre field goal, just exciting, uh, exhilarating to watch. And then to finish off Sunday afternoon with the South Roosters, who are just mortal enemies, not only on the field but their administration hate each other, the fans despise each other. They're two, you know, they're two regions in Sydney that sit side by side, and it, that just I thought it was one of the, the classic. Or uh, classic finals matches, I should say, Sammy, because it just had everything. You know, it had, you know, it had a bit of blood. It had some, you know, it had, uh, you know, just that gladiatorial type um, 
the outcome as well. With there was just bodies strewn everywhere, the players not coming back on because of concussion, and yeah, it had everything. And then the Roosters, unfortunately, had to run out of touch. Hey, uh, Sats, we, I think Panthers did what we expected them to do. Four tries to one against Parramatta, who, who finished fourth. And, and that freshen up the week that they rested their stars um, seems to have been a, a wise move. And they just launched out of the blocks uh, in the manner that they did. I want to spend a bit of time on the Storm, though. Obviously, um, a 20 to 28 loss, as you mentioned, it was pretty cruel uh, the way that it went down. Things were pretty even keel after the first half. And um, Canberra just the better side in the second half. Does it feel like an end of an era to you? I mean, the, the history books are telling us that the last time um, that the Storm went out in week one of the finals was 2014, um, when the names uh, Cronk and Slater and Smith were all there, Hoffman uh, as well. Uh, that was the last time they finished outside the top four as well, and that's what's unfolded here with the Storm, who were in, entrenched in the top four after, I think, about round 12, and then the back half of the year didn't really pan out very well at all for them. And now there's a, a long list of players that looks uh, that are on the on the way out, and maybe even Cam Munster, and Cam Smith even believes that it could be uh, by, by Storm uh, for Cam Munster to go on the open market. There's a big decision to be made for him. Did it have an end-of-an-era-style vibe to you, the Storm loss? Yeah, it's easy for us to, to come to that conclusion, Sammy, but because they've been so successful for so long, you know, their second year in the comp, they win the they win the NRL Grand Final. But I don't think so. They've always been one of the best clubs at recruiting, and yes, they've lost a lot of those key players that become really good recruitment um, recruitment angles themselves. You know, players wanting to go play with them, but yeah, we've got to remember they've got one of the most exciting fullbacks in the game, and Ryan Papenhuyzen oh, yes. out for the. Uh, the, the last three quarters of the year because of that knee reconstruction. And so, yeah, he's a big in next year. Yeah, Munster's the key. If they can keep Munster and Jerome Hughes and they've got Harry Grant and, um, and they've got Ryan Pappenhausen at the back and they've got Xavier Coates and Justin Ollum, straight away you start rattling off those names and you go, well, that's a top four side, straight up. So, uh, no, I, I think they'll recruit wisely. Uh, I think they'll bring some, you know, a couple of extra players to, to come in to, to fill those... Um, those outgoing players like your Bromwich brothers who are getting sort of towards the end of their careers. They've signed a, a really exciting young back row by the name of Katoa, Ili Katoa from the Warriors. He's 21 years of age. And he's, he's an absolute beast. And I think he'll be one of the best back rowers in the competition next year. So they recruit really wisely. So to answer your question, is it the end of an era? No, I don't think it is. I, I think it's the opportunity for them to peel back all the layers and start again, which is always frightening for other teams when you're up against Melbourne. And, you know, Craig Bellamy came out last week and he knows he's, we know he's said it on many occasions, Sammy, that this is his last year. But he's said 2023 is going to be his last year as head coach. He'll still be involved at the club in recruitment and coaching advisor. Um, nothing will change too much when he's still at the club. Uh, he just seems as though the, the game has got away from his coaching style and coaching techniques. But he'll still be around the club. They'll recruit well. 2023, they'll still be as dangerous as what they have been in the, in the past. So, what are you expecting to happen? Um, we mentioned and the Kafusi, We mentioned uh, the Bromwich names, uh, the the brothers Bromwich. Uh, but uh, Felice Kafusi, uh, Brandon Smith, uh, Hectic Cheese is uh, is on the way out the door as well. Uh, it's a two part question. What's your gut feel telling you um, about? Uh, what's your gut feel telling you about Cam Munster? Um, and what are you, what are you expecting to happen um, with Craig Bellamy? Well, I don't think Bellamy will coach after 23, but he'll still be involved in the club um, in some sort of, you know, 
reduced role, but even you know, an even far more important role when it comes to succession planning. So he'll still be around the club and he'll be part of recruitment, which is and you know, helping what, whoever the next coach is going to be. Um, but with Cam Munster, what's my gut telling me? My gut's telling me he'll go to the Dolphins because mm. I think it'd be more about lifestyle for Cam. His partner is from the Sunshine Coast. They've got a, a young a young baby who um, obviously they, they'd want to be closer to family. He's mm. from Rockhampton, which is closer to yeah, to um, the Sunshine Coast and 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 Redcliffe, the north side of Brisbane, is closer to Rockhampton. So, you know, he's going to get. It's not going to be about money because he's going to get money wherever he goes. He's going to get a seven-figure salary. The only thing I think that we probably have to be respectful about is that the reason why he hasn't made a decision is because he just wants to see them get out of the way. He yeah. wants to wait and see whether they can win the comp. And if they don't, well, then he'll he'll address it. So now that they're out of the competition, he's got some pretty tough decisions to make. Can I just say something? I hope he stays at Melbourne. I, yeah. I want him to be a one-team player because he's been great for that club, but equally they've been great for him as well. They've they've turned him into a respectful young man after a couple of off-field incidences which were always very questionable, but I hope he stays at Melbourne. But, but my gut is saying he's going to go to, Dolph- to, to the Dolphins, but you know what? I like that he's kept it quiet. I like that it just hasn't been played out in the media and, and rumours. Um, He's he's a really loyal guy. He's a real he's a proud Queenslander. He's a loyal man, Cam Munster. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if he just comes out and says, you know, I've, I've signed at the I've signed at the Melbourne Storm for the next two years, and he may weigh up his options at the age of twenty nine, and he may go back to to Queensland when he's sort of approaching twenty nine thirty. So, um, but my gut's telling me Dolphins. I hope I'm wrong. Put it that way. Uh, Scotty Sattler with us on the Sporting Capital for NRL Nation. Um, Sats, the book of feuds, Roosters and South, before we get your tips for this weekend's games. Uh, another pretty brutal chapter written in it. I, I, I lost count of how many sin binnings. Um, there's concussion issues that have come out of this. Um, the, the belief that maybe Cam Murray uh, has, you know, Paul Kent saying that he, he, he knows how to have, uh, get around the concussion test, a big accusation. Um, were you comfortable with all the sin binnings that occurred uh, in the game? And the game itself has come under fire for maybe not being the most skillful and maybe the, the fact that it is these two rivals, it tended to be more almost like a square-up match than a, than, a, than a rugby league finals match. It was carnage. But it's exactly what you get from those from those clashes. It, I thought it was a classic finals match. I thought we see it saw amazing rugby league, and you know there's some so-called experts out there saying that they didn't see any skill from that game. Well, I, I saw Cody Walker, the number six for South Sydney, involved in every try, which was just pure class. We saw a South Sydney team that were down to 11 players up against 12 uh, Roosters players, and at some stages 13 Roosters players, and they still scored a try through Latrell Mitchell. So I saw plenty of skill. I thought it was a classic finals match. I was, I was expecting nothing less than what we saw in relation to the carnage. The sin binnings, I thought a, a couple of them were very questionable. I can see why the officials were trying to do it. They were just trying to calm the farm the best way they could. But I thought that at one stage, when it started to flare up again, I thought if the referee called both captains in and said, OK, I've had enough. There were seven sin binnings and all, but when it got to that fifth sin binning, I would have just said, listen, the next person, they just go for the rest of the game. I don't care what the charge is. I've had enough. Um, I think we would have seen a change then, but we just kept sin binning players, and it, it, it frustrated players. And I think at some stages it, it may have escalated the situation. So there was a lot of you know, a lot of feeling on the field and also a lot of emotion that was you know, running through the veins of the fans as well. So... 
Uh, I thought it was a classic finals match. We saw you know, brutality. We saw great confrontation. But we saw amazing skill and tries scored as well. This week, so Friday night, Eels, who, who went down to the Panthers, they got the double chance. So they'll take on the Raiders, which was an impressive win, uh, even in sort of um, unlucky circumstances for Melbourne. But it was an eight-point win to the Raiders nonetheless. Uh, how are you expecting this one to go? I don't know because it all depends on Mitchell Moses. Yeah, he was heavily concussed in the game against Penrith last week. He had the Manus going, so he was frozen in time there for a while, which is, which is a scary sight when you see players that are uh, suffering concussion. Uh, I'd be surprised if he passes, passes any protocols this week, but um, you know, we've seen players that have had worse concussions play the following week. So if he doesn't play, I don't think there are any chance for matter to be quite honest. Um, but if he does play, I still think there's unpredictability of, of Canberra Warriors' side. You, mm. you don't know what they're going to throw at you. And quite frankly, I don't think they know what they're going to throw <laughs> at you, the Canberra Raiders. And it's an exciting brand of rugby league to watch. So um, I'm going to say Raiders. I'm going to say the Raiders are going to beat the Parramatta Eels at Combank Stadium Friday night. Uh, and what about uh, the Sharks uh, and the Bunnies? So um, th- that was that's an all time that that'll go down as a as a classic. The the Sharks and Cowboys. It was two v three, and then Val Holmes, who, a former Shark himself, sinks them uh, in Golden Point with that field goal. Now the the, the Sharks have got to go the long way around, and they've got the Bunnies this week. What's your prediction? Another emotionally charged game because because that's just the way South play. And they're playing at Allianz, which will be again just full of South Sydney fans. And and Latrell Mitchell, who was one of our best players in the game, he plays up to the crowd. I love it. Uh, he's emotionally charged himself. He plays on adrenaline and emotion. That's the way he plays his best footy when he's you know, overly aggressive. And you know it it sort of puts a lot of people off. It gets under the skin of a lot of people, most notably opposition players, and that's the way he plays his best rugby league. And um, and the Sharks have really got to get themselves off the canvas. Now, that's a not only a physically demanding game last week, 93 minutes that game, but you know, psychologically and emotionally, the way to lose that game last week. It'll take you a few days to get over that, and before you know it, you're playing again. So, But I expect Craig Fitzgibbon to get them off the canvas this week. They're a really good team defensively, even though last week they didn't show it, as did the Cowboys defensively, 32-30. And I, I just think they've been travelling really well, the Sharks. But I don't like their record against really good sides that have marquee players. And with Cody Walker, the way he's playing, and Alex Johnson, the way he's playing, and, and Latrell Mitchell, the way he's playing, um, I think South might have a little bit too much for them. Sats, always love catching up with you, mate, and appreciate your time as always. Uh, here's hoping week two is as good, if not better, as week one. And uh, and then we're into week three where the Panthers and the Cowboys sit with a week off to watch it all unfold, mate. We'll speak to you soon. Giddy up, Sammy. Can't wait. He's a very good man, former premiership winner in his own right, uh, former Queensland State of Origin player, Scotty Sattler, part of our NRL Nation coverage. Uh, check out sen.com.au uh, for all the game times and how you can listen in uh, wherever you're listening right around the country on the SEN network. Uh, by the way, eight minutes ago, the last post uh, from Michael Whiting, who's covering uh, and live blogging the Jared Berry Tribunal case, trying to get his one-week uh, for unnecessary and intentional contact uh, to the eye region, downgraded um, to uh, from a week to a fine. Um, Brisbane saying that not only was it uh, not um, careless, it was uh, not intentional. It certainly wasn't intentional, certainly wasn't careless. They're saying it was accidental. 
30 minutes it took Jeff Gleeson to prepare and give directions to the tribunal. This is off the back of what happened in the Paddy Cripps, where the appeals board overturned it because the directions weren't clear enough given. So Jeff Gleeson has taken 30 minutes to give directions to the tribunal. The list is too long to read here, but essentially Gleeson said it was up to the tribunal to decide the validity of Barry's evidence, as well as Hodges and Dr Amato's, which was uh, dismissed by... Um, by uh, Nick... Now, I've just forgotten his name, haven't I? Ah, this is happening to me. This is what happens. Nick Payne uh, from the AFL, who basically dismissed all their evidence out of hand. So um, those are the instructions given. I don't know whether we're going to have uh, a verdict while we're live on air, um, but hopefully we do before we finish up. Uh, back on the other side of this, on the Sporting Capital, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Anything you'd like to chat about, we can text in 0433981116 on the 40 Winks temper text. You're listening to The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEM. Uh, off the team, myself and Nick Ahern up next. And then uh, Pickers and myself, future stars this week. And uh, special guest will be Nick Davis, head coach of the Sydney Swans Academy. And then our dedicated lawn bowl show, Without Bias, uh, to take you through till 10 o'clock this evening. Uh, Michael's called in Reservoir. G'day, Mick. G'day, um, Sammy. I think I've told you before, Sammy, I work in the Indigenous um, community. Yep. I just want to send out my condolences to Uncle Jack Charles' family. he done um he done some lovely, you know, ads for the AFL finals. Yeah. Just um, recently, and he um, passed away this morning. Yeah, very sad. And I've been reading some of the tributes to him, uh, actor and musician, and obviously revered uh, Aboriginal elder. Um, I was reading yeah. some stuff today um, from his publicist sent on, and um, she talked about him being an He actor. was an yeah. absolute um, character, Sammy. Yeah. I've known Uncle Jack for, like, about 25 years. Really? Such a beautiful man. Yeah, I have. Yeah. And yeah. What, what will you remember most about him, Michael? Um, that he was just bubbly. He was kind. I work in the Aboriginal hostel, and I'll just tell you quickly. And um, he just popped by um, Christmas night, and a couple of our residents were out the front. He opened up his wallet, and he gave them both a hundred dollars each for Christmas. That's what sort of man Uncle Jack was, um, Sammy. Oh, Michael, thank you so much for, for coming on and, and, and sharing your recollections and, and, and paying your respects. It's greatly appreciated, mate. Well yeah. done. Yeah, thank you. Have a good night. Yeah, you Bye. too, Michael. Good man. Um, and we pay our respects to um, Uncle Jack's family and, and to all that knew him uh, and loved him. I was reading the statement today that said that they were able to um, send him off on country with a smoking ceremony at the Royal Melbourne Hospital, uh, sadly dying of a stroke. He co-founded Australia's first Indigenous-led theatre group uh, in Melbourne as well, amongst many, many other things. Uh, Boon Warung, Zha Zha Rung, Woi Rung and Yorta Yorta Man and had links to several other clans across South Eastern Australia. Uh, and again, we, we pay our respects to his family um, and our condolences to those that knew him and, and loved him. Um, still nothing uh, in the uh, Jared Berry tribunal hearing. Uh, we unfortunately won't uh, be live on air when uh, that decision gets handed down. But Gary and Tim back tomorrow morning from 6am, you'll be able to have, uh, you've got carte blanche to ring up and give your thoughts on what you make of the decision. Hopefully common sense prevails.
uh, and that will be downgraded um, uh, to be a fine uh, at the very most. Um, just on the Luke Jackson news uh, that came through today that he has officially requested a trade uh, back to WA. So Melbourne will uh, begin negotiating with Fremantle, uh, which is the desired location, but they'll also send out West Coast to make sure they get the best deal they can. Uh, according to John Ralph in the Herald Sun, he believes that Melbourne want two top 10 selections. Now, obviously, Fremantle, the overwhelming favourite to secure his services. Their pick this year is going to be 13. They don't have another pick, I think, until about the fourth round. Uh, So they're going to have to trade a a future top 10 pick, and they're going to have to go about trying to find that. And there's players that they'll look to trade, whether it be Lobb or Akers, who's got an offer from Carlton Lobb uh, to the Western Bulldogs. Griffin Logue will make a decision uh, in the coming days as well. Um, where he might be headed. North Melbourne's being thrown up in in Ralphie's article here. It's West Coast that have got picks 2, 20 and 26. And then there's been questions coming through off the text. What if they can't get a deal done and and West Coast and Freo don't want to give that? Can he get through to West Coast in the draft? I don't think you can putting a price on your head. Uh, We're we're trying to have a look into that at the moment. It's a good question that's come through uh, off the text. I don't know if you can put a price on your head if you are heading into the draft. I think the rules have been changed around that. Don't quote me on that. We're just trying to find a little bit out about that. But that's going to take some doing. Two top 10 picks for Luke Jackson. Uh, how that will get done, that is going to be one of the most fascinating parts of the trade period in what's going to already be one of the most fascinating trade periods uh, that we see as well. So uh, plenty to play out in that space to, to get that deal Done. Hey, thanks for all your calls. Uh, thanks for all your text. Uh, for those that didn't, uh, that we didn't get to, um, I apologise to you for that. Um, as I said, off the tee coming up next, uh, myself and Nick Ahern this week's episode as we uh, just recap on the events at Wentworth for the uh, uh, DP World Tour, the BMW PGA Championship. There was a lot to come out of that, all the latest on live. There's always plenty to come uh, with that. And then future stars from 9 o'clock, from 9.30 with that bias, our dedicated lawn bowl show as well. So uh, plenty to take you through the night on SEN. Uh, Until I speak to you tomorrow night, have a great evening. Stay safe. Stuff for your face and body? It's men's skincare with a purpose. Top quality Aussie-made grooming and skincare to help guys look and feel great with no hassles. Plus, Stuff is helping mental health too. Find Stuff at Woolworths or visit websiteofstuff.com.